0: The lesson outline for today, the title being Set Apart by Worship, the lesson outline is in the bulletin. I hope you'll follow along with it. I have tried my best once again to uh, just kind of a follow a, a simple little pattern of where the scripture directs us and how it allows us to think and um, not not really me directing where we're going or what we're trying to say, but allowing scripture to define who we are and what we do and why we do it. So we as a congregation of people here, as we follow the scripture, this is uh, what we look and see in scripture is one of the things that sets us apart. We have, uh, in many ways, a very similar experience in worship to many different churches all across the land, uh, and in some ways we're very unique. So we're going to consider what Scripture says for us as to who we are and how we're to do it. A simple principle that is established, I think, by this particular lesson just as much as any Lessons we've looked at is that we are looking directly at Scripture and we're letting it teach us. And we're not letting man teach us. We're doing our very best just to go back to God's Word. We're going to establish everything by the Word of God. We have a very... Uh, the, in the lesson that we, we looked at pertaining to... And we're going to end up back in 1 Corinthians today. But we, we looked at 1 Corinthians and we saw at the beginning... I want to remind you of this passage, this is one of the things that sets us apart, is that we continue um, to uh, to be informed by the Word of God, and actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm going to the wrong passage, so scratch that. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians, but but I'm not going back in my, right, in my mind to the right place for, uh, for where we got that lesson from, um, but we, we follow scripture. We're going to continue in scripture. That's what we do. We continue in scripture, which we view as the very word of God. That's what it is. It's the word of God. We continue to search it and to follow it. It's the word of God. It, it guides us in all things. So we don't want to come up with our own ways of thinking, but we're going to turn to God's word and let, us, let it guide our thinking. The simple principle that we would kind of state along those lines is this. Don't add to or take away from the Word of God. We don't do that. We're not going to add to or take away from the Word of God. Revelation, in the book of Revelation, some of the very last verses, and this is a a restatement of something that was given in Deuteronomy. So it's a principle that God passes along to us from the The law of Moses, and he passes it along to us uh, here in the church. Revelation 22, 18 says, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. Um, And I I will add my little editorial comment here, is that I do think in terms of the book of Revelation, he's talking about the book of this revelation. This book right here, the book of Revelation... You're not going to add, don't add to it or take away from it, but that same principle is going to apply to all scripture, just as it did back in Deuteronomy. So if you hear the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away from his part, take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book so the principle is simple here's god's word every word is important every word is the word of god just just jesus said man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of god every word that proceeds so if these are the words that proceed out of the mouth of god we don't want to add to them We've already got everything we need. We don't want to take away from it either. Because if it's the complete word, you take away something, you've ruined it. You have have changed it. So don't add to or take away from the word of God. So now as we turn to the word of God in terms of just kind of starting with why are we here today? And what is this that we're doing? And uh, in, in the, the question that I really don't address in this lesson is, why do we call this worship? You know, these are just some very basic general questions. Why are we here? Why do we do what we do? The first place that I go to as I determine to let the scripture speak to me is Acts chapter 20. In verse number 7, Acts 20, verse number 7, on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day, and he prolonged his message until midnight. Now, the statement that I'm going to make based upon this verse isn't simply just based upon this one verse, but it's based upon the ones following, and there are others that we can look at and determine and see. Kind of a pattern here, and what we learn is that the early church, I think earlier in the early church, they met more, but by the time we get to Acts chapter 20... The established pattern of the church is that they would meet every week. And that's why then when you get to one of the footnotes for, that my Bible provides, um, the publishers of the Bible, the New American Standard, they put a footnote for Revelation, where we just came from, but in chapter 1, I believe verse number 10, uh, there is a reference to the Lord's Day. And so as the church gathered on the first day of the week, and that was their pattern, they call it the Lord's Day. And this is the day recognized as being the day that the Lord was resurrected. It's His day. It's the day that He overcame death so that we, could, that we might gain life. So this is the Lord's Day, and we gather on this day to break bread. This is why we are here. We gather together to break bread. And as we're going to establish down this this idea of breaking bread, in the scripture there are places where it refers to just a common meal. Perhaps you broke bread this morning before you left your home. You had breakfast. Uh, And now as we're gathered here, we've got a different kind of meal that is before us that we've already partaken of here today. We call it the Lord's Supper. We refer to it as as communion. Scripture talks about it in that way. But here in this particular verse, it says they were gathered together to break bread. And I think as we we look through the following verses, we're going to be able to establish the fact that this idea of breaking bread isn't the church just kind of coming together to have, um, have lunch. The point wasn't a potluck. We gather together to break bread on the first day of the week, just as in Acts chapter 20 verse 7 on the first day of the week, when we gathered to break together to break bread, Paul began talking to them. We gather to break bread. Point number 2 says this gathering includes preaching. So there is a message to be shared. Verse number 7 of Acts chapter 20 says that Paul was prolonging his message. Now, that indicates that not all of his messages were super long. So we're going to follow the normal pattern and uh, probably keep it under an hour. How does that sound? Not until midnight? This gathering includes preaching. So we're just looking at the scripture and letting it speak to us. And I've made some assumptions so far that this is the first day of the week that the church did that, but I think we can see that pattern, and that's accepted throughout Christendom, you know, and it seems to be the pattern through Scripture. First day of the week, Sunday, gathering, that's what we do. Churches get together, they come together in buildings, they gather. This is, uh, this is church coming together. And when we spread apart, we're still a part of the church, but there's something special about gathering together, because we have a particular purpose that's alluded to in this verse, and we're going to hear it again later. We come together to break bread. This gathering also, as we see in Acts 20 verse 7, at least on this particular day, included preaching, some teaching. We're going to see the the idea of the teaching continue on through other passages. So that's points one and two. We gather together to break bread on the first day of the week, just as they did in Scripture. Number two, this gathering includes preaching. That's what we do. We preach. Number three, here is uh, the broad point. It says breaking bread is a memorial meal to remember Jesus Christ. So, we're going to turn and look at 1 Corinthians. So, go to uh, this passage. 1 Corinthians, we're going to start in chapter 11. And we're going to, uh, right now, we're going to read verses 17. Uh, We'll go ahead and go down to verse 22. First Corinthians chapter eleven verses seventeen through twenty-two, and we're going to let Scripture continue to speak to us and inform us as to what we do still today, what the church is called to do. Um, and he is—he's just finished some instructions uh, about uh, my ti- my my Scripture. Entitles it Christian order. It's a, it has a lot to do with the idea of head coverings and things. So it's a very interesting passage. Verse 17, he's going to shift gears. He says, but in giving this instruction, I do not praise you because you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. So here is, here's a phrase that's not used in scripture a lot, this idea, you come together. It's the same kind of thought that was in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, when we came together. So here's the coming together. But their situation is not good, and there's a way that, you know, you read through the book of 1 Corinthians, they had all kinds of things going wrong. And we can kind of rejoice in that, because there is so much teaching, and the proper way to do things is then illuminated to us, so that we gain from the fact that, well, 1 Corinthians, the church at Corinth, this letter was written, they had all kinds of problems, and we learn how to avoid some of those problems. And so here we're going to learn some problems that they had with their coming together. We better make sure that, we're not avoid, that we are avoiding these problems and not doing the same things. Verse 18, for in the first place, point number one, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part I believe it. Okay, we already address all that. He hits this topic all the way back in chapter one. There were some severe divisions in this church, and we're not to be divided. We're one. That is to set us apart from the world is that we are one in Christ. That's why we are undenominational. We preach that the church should be one. We should be one here, and we should be one with all the other uh, all the other people who claim to follow Christ. All the people who are immersed into Christ, we're all one in Christ. Shouldn't be a different sect of people and denominations from here to there, from one corner to the next. We're to be one. We're not to have divisions. So that was their their first problem. And this must be true. Verse 19. For there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you. So... Just the mean, but what he meant by this, I believe, is that there, there are some people that are doing things right, and the fact that there are some people doing some things wrong, maybe there's some people that are doing things right. So, verse 20. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, one is hungry, and another is drunk. What? Have you not do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this I will not praise you. In their coming together to uh, in their gathering together. Notice verse number 20 says, Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Do you get the idea that they've got things wrong and it really should be? They should be coming together to eat the Lord's Supper. But their problem was they weren't having the Lord's Supper, they weren't breaking bread to remember Jesus, they were having a big meal. Some of them were uh, even getting drunk that they were so involved in this meal. It sounds like they're having a big old potluck that went overboard. Um, And now they even have some people who aren't getting anything. So there's haves and have-nots. There's probably some Poor people or, or some people that are showing up late and they're not getting there and then they're not getting any food at all. They're not participating at all and then others are drunk. It's just a crazy scene. It doesn't sound like it could possibly be part of a part of a church. A gathering together. Remember, that's the topic, verse 17. Um, because you when you come together, it's not for the better but for the worse. They've got some real problems. Now, on the, the outline here, with, with uh, point number three, there are some sub-points here that we learn some things quickly. First of all, we've highlighted that our coming together shows our unity. When we worship, we're worshiping together. We're doing things together. And, and I will say that this principle that we've established up at the very, at the very first, do not add to or take away from. Even if you give a little hint of adding to God's word, it's going to give us an opportunity for division. So we need to keep things very simple. If God's word says it, we do it. If God's word doesn't say to do it, then maybe we should stay away from it. We don't want to add, start doing things in our worship that scripture doesn't allude to or dictate for us to do. That's just going to cause disunity. Disunity. The point of our coming together is show that we are united. And so this should be a very simple thing for us, is that, hey, when we gather together, we want to do everything by the book. We want to follow the book. And why do we want to do that? Because we want to be united. So somebody else wants to add something? Well, just say, well, where is it at in the book? If it's not in the book, maybe we shouldn't do it. You know, somebody else says, I don't think we should do this. Well, hey, it's right here in the book. We've got to do it. We must do it. So, simple, authentic faith. On the front of the bulletin for this congregation, it says where you can find simple, authentic faith. The simple part is kind of what I'm alluding here now. Is If it's, if it's in the book, we do it. If it's not in the book, we don't do it. God says do it, do it. If God doesn't say do it, you better, hey, let's slow down. We better consider this. What are we doing? That's simple. So in our coming together it should be it should show our unity. Not showing how we're being creative and adding things to God's worship. No, this is that's not it. We're coming together to break bread and this is a display of unity. When we come around this table there's no greater display of unity. It's saying we're all in Christ. Jesus died for every one of us. We're united in him. We're all participating in him. Communion is a participation. That word is participation. And we have Christ in common. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. Christ is our brother. So our coming together shows our unity. A second point under number three is that the purpose of the assembly is to eat the Lord's Supper. So, and first of all, that, just go back to point number one again. It says, we gather together to break bread on the first day of the week. Acts, that was the language of Acts 20, verse 7. A different author. Uh, Luke was the one who penned, being uh, inspired by the Spirit. He penned those words in Acts 27. He said, when we gathered on the first, on the first day of the week, when we gathered to break bread. That was his language and now, here in 1 Corinthians, we have the Spirit working through Paul. to He pens the same language that Luke used. The purpose of the assembly is to eat the Lord's Supper. In ver- particular, verse number 20, it says, Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. It should be. you got big problems there. I'm not going to give you any kind of... You, you got all kinds of chaos, but you really should be coming together. To break bread, to participate in the Lord's supper, and they were way off on this. But this is the purpose why we come together here. And next point is that the Lord's supper is not a common meal. People eating too much, getting drunk. Some others not having enough, and some of them are hungry and, and they're wanting something to eat, but nothing's there. Well, this is not the point of communion. Look look at verse number 22. What do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this I will not praise you. The Lord's Supper is not the the point of it is not to eat and get filled up physically <laughs> i was like wait it is to eat and get filled up but it's just simple bread simple cup and the point is to get filled up spiritually As we remember Jesus. And then, verse 23 and following is the description of this memorial. And in there, you'll see at the end of verse 24, Jesus, as Paul recounts what Jesus said that's recorded in the Gospels, do this in remembrance of me. We're remembering Christ, remembering what he's done for us, we're remembering his body was given for us, we're remembering his blood that's a new covenant. It represents a new covenant when He died and shed His blood. His blood was poured out for us. We remember Him. It's a memorial meal. That's why I call it a memorial memorial meal, because we are remembering. Remembrance of Jesus. Remembering Him. And in doing this, verse 26, then For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. That last point simply says, eating the bread and drinking the cup, in other words, breaking bread, uh, sharing in the Lord's Supper, having communion, eating the bread and drinking the cup is a memorial meal. All right, so now, let's move on to another set of scriptures, passages, um, and I will note that in, uh, in, chap- in chapter 11 here, verse number 17, this was the first time that that phrase, when you come together, that was the first time it showed up. And then it starts showing up. It shows up several times here in chapter 11. Um, and, you know, you see it again. I know, in, I remember in verse uh, 33. So then, my brethren, when you come together uh, to eat. Wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so you will not come together for judgment. All right, so coming together, it's going to be this language that we're going to see a little bit more. And apart from the book of 1 Corinthians, there's really not a lot of instruction throughout the New Testament of what our coming together is supposed to look like. Really interesting. The problems in Corinth have led to us being able to be enlightened and have forever the, the instructions for how we should behave and what we should do when we come together. So point number four then, in the assembly, when we gather together, now we're going to see this, this idea your scripture, your translation might just have assembly. So this is an assembly, we are coming together. All things are done for edification. Edification means Um, The idea of being built up properly, not just encouraged, but proper instructions, things that edify, really build up the church. And this includes singing and teaching. So I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse number 26. And we're going to stay in this passage a little bit. Um, Verse 26 says, what is the outcome then, brethren, when you assemble? And I didn't look at the uh, Greek... Words there, I'd, I'd, I'd venture to say this is the same language as when you come together. I'm not sure on that. It's going to be very similar if it's not the same. When you assemble, each one has a psalm and a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. So here is a reference to some... Oh, some miraculous things, some things of the the, the the charismatic work of the Spirit. The revelation, tongues, interpretations, those were miraculous things, and we'll mention that here for a second. But we're going to note what, when they had some of those, those gifts showing up, the Spirit working in the church, they had some ways to uh, kind of... Make sure that things were still run right, even with those gifts. And this idea of psalms and teachings, those are things we continue today. But the, but the point is that when we come together, we have some of these things. So there is singing. There are psalms. There are, this is their way of, of saying that you, you can sing together, and that's what we should do. And we have a teaching, that's what we should do. I hope that's what's happening now as we talk about these scriptures. Some teaching is taking place. But these things should all be done for edification. And our, we learn here then with the psalm and the teaching is that we learn some of the things that we do when we come together. When you assemble, there are psalms. In other words, singing, and there is teaching. Of course, we already saw that in Acts 27, 20, verse 7, is that Paul was teaching. So that's a part of our worship service. So in the assembly, all things are done for building up. If it's not edifying, teaching, and encouraging, and building up the church, then it really probably doesn't have a place in our assembly But our assembly includes singing and teaching. Those are some things we do. Now verse number five, or I'm sorry, point number five on my outline. The miraculous tongues and prophecies have ceased, but we continue to take turns and not cause confusion. So here's some real simple instruction that makes sense to us, but it might not make sense to others. I don't know that every church follows this practice, but... Uh, and actually, I know that not every church does follow this practice. But I first I make this point about the miraculous tongues and prophecies. They have ceased. There was an illusion in chapter 13. That's what the entirety of chapter 13 is really about. Someday tongues are going to cease and, and love blossoms. Faith, hope, and love. They'll stay forever. All right? And and really the whole topic of tongues and prophecies, that's that's a whole other lesson or series of lessons. But they have ceased, and we, but we continue to do things the way that they were doing them in the early church, and that is taking turns and not causing confusion. So here we go in verses 27 through 33. If anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by two or three at the most, and each in a turn, and one must interpret. But if there is no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophet, uh, prophets speak, and let the others pass judgment. But if it, by the way, that I, did, I should have included this as part of our worship, too, is that everybody, when I speak, or when somebody speaks at the table or when somebody prays, we're all let the others pass judgment. You're all involved and active in my lesson right now. should be. Pass judgment. You're commanded to. That means be to have use your mind to see if what I say matches with what is being shown right here in Scripture. The simple principle, do not add to or take away from the Word of God. Anytime I'm talking, that should be one of your simplest guideposts. Is he adding to the Scripture? Is he taking away something that Scripture says? If he is, I ain't going to trust this guy anymore. So don't, you know, so... Be active. Be listening. And uh, when you start drifting off to sleep, take a breath and wake back up, right? So get that breath. You ready to continue? Start passing judgment. Keep it up. Verse 30. But if a revelation is made to another who is seated, the first one must keep silent. So see, they're just taking turns or being courteous to each other. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. And the spirits of prophets are subjects of prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So if you ever go into a church and there's like a scene of chaos, you can turn and walk back out because there's clearly a... a, disconnect you can pass that judgment and you say this church isn't doing things like God's word says simple something simple like that you just follow that simple principle all right but the point is we're going to look at here is that you we take turns we edify we keep things going and not cause confusion look at verse 40 also but all things must be done properly and in an orderly manner This dictates our worship, and that's why we do what we do and how we do it. Point number six. In church, this is new language that's kind of added here, but it's the same as before, um, talking about the assembly. The women do not speak. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 34 and 35. Now, 33, I got to tack on to this. I think, um, you know, there's differences in translations, how they. Treat the end of 33, whether it stays in 33 or actually is going towards the, the next sentence in verse 34. I think it fits with um, the next passage, but it, well, it doesn't change too much anyhow. But in all the churches of the saints, God's not a con- author of confusion. In all the churches, that's not it; never confusion anywhere. But also in all the churches of the saints, the women, verse 34, are to keep silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but are subject to themselves just as the law also says. so here's that concept well verse 35 with it if they desire to learn anything let them ask their own husbands at home for it is improper for a woman to speak in church so and there's that language in church and it's the assembly it's not it's not like well when anybody from church is around you zip up your mouth and it's not like in, in the assembly you can't speak um, with songs and speaking to one another and songs and hymns and spiritual, Spiritual songs. It's the idea of, of speaking up and you know what all is involved here. I don't know, but Scripture says that the women remain silent in the churches. So don't add to or take away from the Word of God. It says women don't speak up. That's why we don't have a woman preaching, teaching, leading anything in our worship. We keep it simple. So... And the other thing is, is that in church. I really think this is an interesting language here. That clock's behind, isn't it? Um, in church, there is this, this concept of going to church. Sometimes, I will even be one to say that you don't go to church, you are the church, right? Because you are the we are the church, but there's also the concept of in church, when we're in the assembly. And... We have that language in particular here in 1 Corinthians. It's very unique to this this book. But it's good scriptural language that we are the church, and there is a time when we are in church. There is a time for the assembly. And just as we have already seen, the idea and the point of the assembly is communion. We've got to stay focused on that. We remember Christ in communion. And it's interesting that here we are on this this day that that a lot of people call Easter or Resurrection Sunday. This is the actual day, the first Sunday after Passover has taken place that the Jews do the Passover just as Jesus recognized the Passover. And here we are on this particular day of the year. And Scripture doesn't say anything about on this particular day of the year when we are it's the annual rec, you know recognition of Christ's resurrection and coming in line with the the Passover feast scripture new testament scripture doesn't talk about that at all but it does talk about every sunday being special on the first day of the week we come together to break bread the communion feast is a thing for every sunday you know, and so many people get dressed up special on this day. There's nothing wrong with that. You can. I, I even said at the opening of this sermon, it's a special day to me. I really, It's really strong remembering the, resur, the death and resurrection of Christ throughout this week. It's really easy. It's real focused. It seems like it's true of everybody. But we keep that focus. This table keeps us focused on that all year long. And Scripture says... That table is important every Sunday. And so we do that. Don't add to or take away from the word of God. Put it into practice and do it. Okay. So this language of in-church is fine. It's a good thing. And um, in this assembly, when we come together, come together to break bread, um, it's, it indicates the women do not speak. Now when this assembly is, is done... The women speak. I like that a lot. Point seven. Scripture points to the assembly as a time to give financially. I don't make this a real strong point, but I'll just go there quickly. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 16 verses 1 and 2. Now concerning the collection for the saints as I directed in the churches of Galatia. So do you also now point the collection for the saints in Jerusalem. This is a special collection. It's not just a collection that's paying a preacher or an elder or something like that or turning on the lights or, you know, paying the bills, so to speak. It's, it was a special collection. Verse two says on the first day of every week, each of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. OK, so. This verse is used a lot is that, hey, you have to give on Sunday, and I can't I can't apply that to this verse, but I would say Sunday is is a good opportunity for us to give, and we're commanded to give. So Sunday's a good time for that. So when we gather together, it's a good opportunity for us to pass a plate. I struggle with I, I really to, to say it's a point of our worship gathering when we're gathered around the table, and we could almost connect them, and I don't, you know, they're just different. All right? So I don't have a particular verse. I have verses, we looked at them about paying a preacher, paying an evangelist. Those, you know, when you, if you sow, you know, as you sow, so shall you reap. So sow a lot and you'll you'll reap. So give, give bountifully, you know, as you prosper, give. And you should give cheerfully, all right? So I'm not going to make it a point, and I think you should set aside and plan your giving. And so Sunday, our gathering, I think is a good opportunity for that. All right, that's all I've got to say on that. Verse uh, point number eight, in church we pray. Um, Acts chapter two, verse forty-two was the scripture reading. It was in the scripture reading today. After those three thousand souls were baptized and added to the church, it says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, I think all of those things are connected with worship. So the apostles teaching, somebody giving a message, somebody teaching, fellowship. We fellowship in the communion. That's communion, fellowship, partnership. That's all that word is. Fellowship is partnership. To the breaking of bread. That's what the focus is of uh, really much of this lesson right now. And to prayer. So we pray. When we worship together, when we assemble together, we do all of that together. First uh, Timothy uh, chapter two verse eight mentions the men. I want men everywhere to lift up their, lift up holy hands in prayer. Um, to uh, well, look, I, I want to say it right. I want men everywhere lifting up holy hands. So uh, therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands, without wrath or dissension. So as we pray, I'd say the first point before we pray is that we need to be holy if we're approaching God. So as we, um, of course, the Jews, they would lift up their hands like this to pray. And so I I just say, you know, the thought of this to me is you don't have to raise your hands up. I don't think that's the point. But do you have holy hands? Is your life holy? What have your hands been doing through the week? You're getting ready to stand before God's people now. Are you one of God's people yourself? Do you have holy hands? Men, as we lead, do anything here. It's a it's a we need to look at our hands and say, Am I worthy of coming before God and these people to speak, to pray? All right. In church we read Scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number, or excuse me, second. Oh, it is 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 4, 13. Um, until I come, give attention to the public reading of scripture and to exhortation and teaching things we 've talked about already. so those are important. Give attention to the reading it's literally what it said it 's an indication they, they should be reading scripture that 's what we're doing hopefully i'm doing that as much as I 'm talking reading scripture, letting it speak for itself. Point ten. In church, we sing to one another and give thanks to God. And I add in here, without the aid of instruments. Um, I don't don't subscribe to we don't use instruments because Scripture says do not use instruments. I don't know anywhere it says that. There wouldn't be an issue surrounding it. But this simple principle that we follow, don't add to or take away from. I know Scripture tells us to sing together. And so we sing. Ephesians chapter 5. Excuse me. Verse number 18, Ephesians chapter 5 and Colossians are beautiful passages. Uh, Ephesians five eighteen says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. And by the way, getting drunk with wine, that we learned from uh, Corinthians, it could be connected with the Lord's Supper, unfortunately, and that was crazy, shouldn't be that way, but could have possibly been an issue in Ephesus also. So do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but, we, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God and even the Father. So we sing to one another because that's what we know we're supposed to do. We're supposed to sing from the heart. Let us do that. Uh, Colossians 3.16 is where we shall end. A beautiful passage very similar to uh, the Ephesians passage. It says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So we do all of these things together. The greatest thing that we do is remember Jesus, remember the one who died for us. And then as we go out from this place, we can say he died for me, he rose again to give me life. Just as he was resurrected, my, the old man in me has been crucified, we talked about that last week. An old man died in a watery grave and I was raised up to a new life. And so now because of what Jesus did, I can walk out those doors today and live for Christ Jesus. So let us do that. When we're gathered together on any Sunday, let us remember we're called to do this. We're called around this table. We're called to hear a message from the Word. We're called to pray together and have reading of Scripture. Where We have example after example of some of the things and how we are to do these things. So let us pray. Let us sing. Let us give thanks to God and encourage one another, build one another up. If there's anybody here today, um, 616, I know we marked that, that or 583 song of invitation is here if anybody needs to respond to the call of christ jesus you want to give your life to him and live for him we will uh gladly um, in remembrance of what christ has done for us we will gladly make a baptism a part of our worship service if you need to respond you're welcome to come as we stand together and sing this song